Uh, you can use your phone to actually do that with the, uh, one of the sheets of paper in the pew in front of you. But as we continue on in our sermon series, just taking a look at Pulpit Table Square, these are three words that we use to help guide us as a church. As we seek to be faithful disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ, that's the call. That's the mission. That's what God has given us and every other gospel-preaching church here in, in London and throughout the world. And as a church, we seek to be faithful disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we do that through pulpit, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, as we saw and we sought to answer that question, why do we preach? Why do we spend uh, 40 minutes and listen to some guy talk for 40 minutes? And the reality is, is the reason why we do that is because God uses his word to transform lives at the base level. So that's why we preach. And last week, we talked about how the outflow of the church gathering is a true Christian community as we understand that we are all needy and we are needed people. We're all needy because, well, we're needy. Let's be honest. But we're also needed because we have all been gifted in different ways and we are called not only to God himself by his grace, but called into a community. But another outflow of the church gathered is the church in the city. As we seek to make disciples, we need to be disciples who are in the city, who are seeking to share the good news of Jesus Christ that we've spent time singing and reading and hearing the preaching of. Because we are the church in the city. We gather to scatter at school, at work, at the playground, in the neighborhood. We have gathered together to have God's word preached, sung, and read, and we go out to declare the very things that we were just reminded of on that Sunday gathering. As we interact together, as we pray with one another, as we hear God's word preached, a friend of mine named Corey McKenna would often say to me that fervent worship inspires faithful witness. The overflow of the gathering as we worship together is an amazement of who God is. And should, be there, should there not be a desire that comes out of us as we seek to tell other people about who our awesome God is? So why do we witness about Jesus? Why do we seek to be the church in the city? Why do we seek to be that? And if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Mark. We're going to be in Mark 16, verses 14 to 16 this morning as we continue to worship our awesome God through that. So if you have your Bibles with you, Mark 16, starting at verse 14, the word of the Lord says this. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them in their unbelief and hardness of hearts, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for today. It is so good to be able to gather together uh, different types of weeks for us all. But in all of them, Lord, we get to come together to reflect upon who you are and what you have done for us, to be reminded once again of who you are. So Lord, I pray for other churches that are gathering in the same way we are, 
who are seeking to be disciples themselves, growing in Christ's likeness, who are going out seeking to make disciples, who are preaching the full gospel. And Lord, specifically, I think of Redemption, Bible Chapel, and Pastor Norm. We pray that you would, that you would bless them as they seek to be faithful disciples themselves who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Give the elders and give the pastors there the wisdom that is needed to shepherd the flock that you have entrusted to them. But Lord, even as we gather and we worship, Lord, we pray that you are glorified in this time. May we worship you in the listening and the preaching of your word. And Lord, there's no possible way that I can make this turn out well by my, on my own. So Lord, will you not use this for your glory? Will you not make this turn out well? So by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. Essentially, today we're talking about evangelism and what that means for us. And I think we all struggle with that. It's like this big E word that we don't want to ever talk about. You mean I have to go talk to someone? That's my response. You mean I have to go across the street and talk to my neighbor? You mean I have to be purposeful in my relationships that I have? You know my idea of a good time is? Me hanging out by myself in my basement. <laughs> that is my idea of a good time. You can ask my wife. We're very different people, but God brings two different people together, and that's great. But as I read through Mark 16, I'm reminded of a few things, that we have a mission. In verse 14, we witness about Jesus because there's a mission. There's been a task that's been given. You can think of the general giving the soldiers a mission, the captain telling his soldiers to go do a task. We have a mission. In verse 14, Mark comes and he explicitly says, he recounts what Jesus says, and afterwards he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. Afterwards, after he appeared, Jesus comes after he has just walked with two of his disciples on the world to Aramaeus. And he, at that time, he explained to those two people, those two men, what all of the prophets had been talking about all up until now. And that everything that Jesus had done had been fulfilled, had fulfilled what the prophets had talked about as he explains to them that God had a redemptive plan of how he was going to save his people and call them to himself that Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. But as Jesus appeared to them, the first thing that he sees is that his disciples are reclining at table. In the Middle East, you sat down on the ground, you kind of lean and you kind of eat off the floor. It's quite a fun time, I've done it. Completely opposite of what my mom would allow me to do. <laughs> but they were reclining at the table and they were sitting around eating a meal together. And you wonder why this is such a bad thing and worthy of being mentioned by Mark here. But as Jesus walks into the room, he sees his disciples there and he begins to rebuke them for something very specific, their unbelief. Literally, they refuse to put their trust or reliance in something or someone. And Jesus rebukes them because they weren't just eating a meal together, but because they didn't believe. In fact, the Greek puts a bigger emphasis on that word. 
by not just believing, but refusing. The unbelief, and this is something to remember, that unbelief shows itself in action. It's saying, I don't trust. And unbelief shows up in disobedience. And we're all guilty of that. And praise be that we're saved by grace and not by works. But they didn't believe the accounts of those who witnessed the tomb that was empty. We think of Mary Magdalene who saw the temple, or not the temple, the grave, the tomb that was empty. And she was told by Jesus to go tell them. And their response was, "Uh, yeah, sure, maybe. You're crazy, Mary. Jesus died. We saw it. We saw it. And Jesus rebukes him again for the hardness of hearts. And this is the same word that we see in Mark 10, verse 5, about Jesus addressing divorce and that God allows those things because of the hardness of hearts, literally a stubbornness. The disciples were stubbornly refusing to change their opinion or what they were doing because of this unbelief. Unbelief is dangerous. It affects us. It affects how we do things and the outcome of our actions. And why this unbelief, why, sorry, why this rebuke? Because they had not believed. They did not trust those who saw Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. As we saw in verse, as you can see in verse 11 before. So Jesus rebukes them. And Jesus isn't, I don't know if he's rebuking them for the eating or not, but, the ref, but the, for the refusal of their belief. Now is their eating of food and hanging it out together, reclining at table, a sign of that action that we talked about? Maybe, possibly. But I wonder more if the eating was that sign of unbelief. And what should be the action that follows if we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again? What is our response that should come out of this? And the outcome of believing that Jesus really rose from the dead is seeking to be a witness about it because, let's be honest, that is crazy. That's amazing news. A man died on the most horrific way possible. He was buried for three days, and then he was out. That's not something that you keep to yourself. So let me ask you, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did he conquer death? Does death still have a sting? As 1 Corinthians 15 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, as I was saying, we were talking about why we preach. And we preach because we believe this is the word of God, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, lives are transformed. And God's word tells us that Jesus rose from the dead. So just as a distinguishing mark of Christian community is to be centered around the word of God, so the outflow of those truths of coming face to face with God is a desire to tell other people about him, to be united in his mission, to go declare to this world that there is hope. Life seems hopeless, but there's hope. Life is hard, but God is good. And when I become more and more and more aware of what Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8 says, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Is that not something worthy of proclaiming from the mountaintops? What he has done for you and for me, for his people, Do you believe this? Because that belief overflows in our desire to be a faithful witness. Jesus is rebuking his disciples because they did not believe. Because unbelief has action or inaction tied to it. Do we believe this? Because it comes out in what we do. We witness because there is a mission to proclaim what Jesus, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and he rose again. This isn't the time to stand idly by. When we gather together, we're not only reminded that we have been saved by God's amazing grace, but we are reminded that there is a mission for us to go. To go and proclaim, as verse 15, we witness about Jesus because the gospel is to be proclaimed. And Jesus says to them, after he's done rebuking them, he says, go. In other words, to move from one place to another. Did you know that that's what the word go means? I looked it up. (laughs) Think about that word go. We use it to describe a change of vocation, right? I'm going to the store. Well, you can't go to the store if you don't actually go to the store. Or I'm going to Toronto. Or I'm going to cut the lawn. I'm going to cut the lawn today, honey. That implies that you're going to actually go cut the lawn. But it's not just a story. It's not just to the store that God is, is talking about here. He says, Jesus says, go into all the world. And, but sometimes I think that we think that we're just talking about world missions. And we forget that the world could be my neighbor across the street. The beautiful thing about Canada, I love this country. I think it's honestly, I've been to a few countries, I still think that this is the best one. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. That's just a Canadian thing to say. <laughs> it, means, it means that I'm not really sorry. That's, that's what can, Canadians use for it for. But you see God bringing all the nations to this country. Me reaching and going out to this world is, could be as simple as walking across the street. And I say simple, understanding that it's not simple. We have a lot of fear that I have to overcome, that you have to overcome, but we can do that as we are constantly reminded of who God is. I, I have a friend of ours, Steph and I have a friend of ours, who got saved later in life, and she would describe her life before God saved her as she would come home from work, she would drive her car, and she would go straight into the garage, close the garage, and go into her house through the garage. She literally would not have any interactions with anyone. And she was great with that. Then something happened. The Holy Spirit convicted her of her sin and the need of a savior, that Jesus Christ died for her sins and rose again. And God began to transform her. And to this day, she's one of the most hospitable, loving, gospel-sharing people that I know. 
because she understands that the gospel is to be proclaimed, that there is a mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And Mark echoes Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And what is Jesus telling his disciples to do? To go proclaim the gospel to the whole world. The word proclaim there in Mark is an imperative, meaning it's a command. It's not an option. Jesus is telling his disciples, go and, and go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to all of the world. It's active as it is ongoing. I have had to be rebuked of this personally. How many times I've just like, yeah, I'm not gonna do that, God. You know what the proper response to disobeying a command is? Repentance. But why do we proclaim? Because Romans 10, 14 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And what Romans is saying is that Jesus is the true preacher of the gospel and he uses uh, our faithful witness as confusing as it may be, our proclamation, our voice of his people to call his elect to himself, but that doesn't happen without someone proclaiming the gospel to the lost, which means you can't just use your actions. You actually have to use your voice. And in order to do that, you need to know what the gospel is so that you can articulate that to those around you. People will call on Jesus to save them only if they believe Jesus can save. But you can't believe in Jesus unless you know about Jesus. And you can only know about Jesus unless someone proclaims him to you. And the message about Jesus can't be proclaimed unless someone is sent by God to do that. That's why we proclaim the gospel to the corners of this world, to our neighbor across the street, or to wherever we are, because hearing and believing the gospel is the only way that people are saved. If you uh, have any interactions with missionaries or missions, you can hear some crazy stories. And I've, I've had to rethink a lot of my own views. But if you go to the Middle East, God uses visions. And I just don't know how to interpret that. But I do know that God uses those things to draw them to a missionary or to another Christian, and that Christian or that missionary tells them the gospel, and God saves them. It's not the vision that saved them. It's not the dream that saved them. It's the proclamation of the gospel that God used to save them. We have it all within ourselves, too. Think back to what God used in your own personal life, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, to call people to your, to, to call you to himself. It was a Sunday school teacher, or your parents, or your friend, or your coworker, or your neighbor, who told you the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins, and that he rose again. And the Holy Spirit convicted us, us of those things. So you gotta use words. And what do we proclaim? We proclaim the gospel. 
that Christ died for our sins and that he rose again. To move from one place to another could be walking from the front lawn to your neighbors. The world includes your neighbor as well as the Amazon in, or, or, in, or the desert. And in fact, I'll tell you this from a pastoral point of view. If you come to me and say, hey, I think God's calling me to the mission field, my next follow-up question is going to be, so tell me about how you are sharing the gospel to your neighbor. Because if you're not doing it here, I'm not paying you to do it over there. If I'm frank. We witness about Jesus because the gospel is to be proclaimed, and that's what God uses to call his people to himself. But we also proclaim, as verse 16 says, because people are lost. Mark says in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Believes what? Believes the gospel. Gospel means good news. But in order to understand why the gospel is good news, we need to understand that it's bad first. The gospel, that God is holy, and because of our sin, we deserve punishment. The Old Testament law was given to Israel during the time of Moses. We see that in Deuteronomy. And you can think of the law as a sort of a, a, a measuring stick. And, and sin is anything that falls short of a perfect according to that standard. So the law shows that we've all been measured and been found wanting. Because not one of us has not done something. You've taken the Lord's name in vain. Anytime you uh, don't believe that God is who he says he is, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. You've lied at some point. If you're a parent, you definitely have to your children. We've all fallen short. And the righteous requirements of the law is so stringent that no human could possibly follow it perfectly. No matter how good or bad you think you are, we're all in the same spiritual boat. We have sinned, and the punishment for that sin is death, which means that we are eternally separated from God, the source of life. In order for us to go to heaven, God's dwelling place, and the realm of life and light, sin had to be somehow removed from or paid for. And the law tells us the, per the fact that cleansing from the sin can only happen through the blood sacrifice of innocent life. Hebrews 9 verse 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Meaning Jesus actually had to die. So that's the bad news. We're all in trouble. Is that all? Well, that wouldn't be the gospel, wouldn't it? Because the gospel is good news. The good news is that Jesus paid that price. And what does that mean? The gospel tells us that there is nothing we can do at all to earn our salvation. What Jesus did on the cross completed the work of redemption and justification. And Jesus is, is I love this word, the propitiation of our sins. He absorbed the wrath of God that was meant for us by standing in our place and making us clean. The gospel is good news. Why? Because we who were once enemies of God have been reconciled by the blood of Christ and adopted into the family of God. We're no longer orphans. We have a father. 
As 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called, what? Children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, as he continues on. The gospel is good news that allows us to resonate with Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I don't know about you, but I often have flashbacks to stupid things I've done in my past. Words, actions, a slew of things. But in Christ, as much I, as I may condemn myself, or maybe we condemn someone else, Christ has paid it all. There is no more condemnation. That's what the gospel does. And as I baptize, as he continues on, as Mark continues on, he says, and is baptized will be saved. So let me just spend a couple minutes there. Does baptism save you? The answer is no. I'm just going to tell you. And we talk about this a lot in our baptism class. We just finished a baptism class for, for four people who are seeking to be baptized. So pray about that. So baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. So what baptism is, is an act of obedience. No, it doesn't save you. But your obedience or your continued disobedience is truly a test of what is in your hearts. The inward reception which is shown in the belief is immediately followed by an external act or witness to that faith which shows an act of being baptized. What's interesting here is that belief and baptism are something that is so closely tied together, so closely associated together that they are shown here as almost the same act. So baptism does not save you, but it is an expression of an inward change. It is an ordinance, which means it's a command by Jesus, and it should be used prayerfully and with reverence and with thought. So what happens when the gospel is rejected? And Jesus says this further, but whoever does not believe, i.e. doesn't trust, or is not resting, or is not relying in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, will be condemned, meaning definitely guilty. There's no wiggle room. To reject Christ is to be condemned. To reject the gospel is to embrace the bad news. Condemnation before God is the result of a lack of faith in the Son of God, the only provision for salvation that God has given. Everyone loves John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's my King James NIV. But they forget the rest which is 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. God has given a doomed world good news. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to reject Jesus is to accept that bad news, but we seek to be faithful, faithful witnesses of Jesus because there are lost people, and they will only be saved through knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, so we proclaim that from the mountaintops whenever we can. Let me tell you a failure I had a couple of days ago. I was talking with my neighbor, and I was like, God, I really need to try and turn this into a gospel message because I know my neighbors aren't saved and they need Jesus. Totally botched it. Unbelievably. But it's not, it's not dependent upon my witness but the Holy Spirit using me. God is the one who can fix through the faithful proclamation. Do I seek to get better at it? Yes but I don't rely upon my ability to argue or to rhetoric. These words are from the mouth of the one. I mean, something we need to remember as we leave this is that uh, I, I don't want you to leaving here without knowing the certainty of God's judgment on all those who don't believe. These words are from the very mouth of the one who rose from the dead, who created all things through his word, who calmed the storm by his word, who caused the blind to see and the lame to walk and to rise the, the dead person from the dead by a simple word. This is the person who said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but what? My words will not pass away. So listen to me here. If you're one who's not believing and resting in Jesus Christ, listen, there is an eternal hell for all who will continue to reject Jesus. But what's amazing is God's grace that he offers in the gospel. If you continue to reject Jesus and the mercy that is offered in the gospel, your guilt will be greater. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus has given a clear warning that there is a hell and that those who reject him will be damned. Don't ignore the warning. Because in Jesus, there is reconciliation. There is salvation, and Jesus is the Redeemer. He is greater than all and everything. It's only in faith in him that you can have life to the fullest. So we proclaim because Jesus is the only way by which one can be saved, but also because there are people who are lost, and they need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And God uses a faithful witness, our faithful witness, and didn't say perfect. Do not hear me say perfect. I just told you my story faithful. God uses our faithful witness of his people as to proclaim the gospel, to call his people to himself. But we also do this not only because there's a mission, not only because it's commanded, not only because people are lost, but Jesus is great. Jesus is great. This is when you say amen. Jesus is great. Colossians 1 verse 18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything we might be preeminent. This is the supremacy of Jesus that's very clearly uh, pointed out. 
He is greater than all people. He is greater than creation. He is greater than anything. His name is greater than all. It's only through his name that salvation is found. If he is greater, then he is the answer to all. So we proclaim him because he is great. Because he is the answer. He is the answer to our separation from God, as Romans 5, 12, and 13 says. He is the answer to our purposeless life, as John 10, 10 says, where he will give life abundantly. He is the answer to all of our doubts and our worries, as John 16, 33 says, as, as he will walk with us through our tribulation. Jesus is the reason we aren't alone. He is the answer to our fears and our heartaches. Jesus is the answer to the world's problems, as Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7 says, as he is the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor. He is the answer to our broken relationships. When sin entered the world, it not only broke our relationship with God, it, but with each other. We see that with Cain and Abel. He is the answer for our guilty conscience. As 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We not only witness because there's a mission or because there are lost people, because we are commanded to, but we also witness because our Lord and Savior is great and he is the answer. He is the answer. So what? Why do we witness about Jesus? Here's the main point. Fervent worship inspires faithful witness of the one who is able. Let's not be a church that needs to be rebuked of our unbelief or our hardness of hearts while we recline at our tables and neglect the mission that God has called us to. And also hear me not say, we are having a barbecue next week, so that's still a good thing. I pray that the outflow of my time with God's people, with our time with God's people, is a faithful witness. But I still doubt sometimes, don't we? I still have unbelief. So how do we overcome that unbelief? Can we admit that Christians know that the Bible says, for the most part, for the most part, we do trust God to take care of and direct our lives, but there's still doubt even though there's faith, and sometimes we are faced with something that seems so overpowering to our faith that we just don't know what to do. We don't seem to have enough faith to follow Jesus in the moment, so we ask for more faith. We acknowledge that even our faith comes from God. It is his work in our lives that enables us to believe and to obey, so we pray. We pray together and we ask for more faith and God is faithful to give it. So we ask for what we need. When we doubt, we can ask for more faith. And when we are wavering in our resolve to follow, we can ask for more resolve. And when we don't want to obey, which happens a lot, we can ask to be made willing and that our hearts would desire to obey our God. Let me point you to one of my favorite interactions with Jesus is in Mark 9. I love it. I think this is my life verse, if that's possible. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. So rest in Jesus. I love how J.C. Ryle put it. 
What shall we do with our faith? We must use it. Weak, trembling, doubting, feeble as it may be, we must use it. We must not wait till it is great, perfect, and mighty, but let the man before us turn it to account and hope that one day it will be more strong. Lord, he said, I believe. What shall we do with our unbelief? We must resist it and pray against it. We must not allow it to keep us back from Christ. We must take it to Christ as we take all of our sins and infirmities and cry to him for deliverance. Like the man before us, we must cry, Lord, help my unbelief. So let us step out in faith to proclaim the gospel. And even though we may have doubts and, and, and don't have the resolve, let us bend a knee to pray to God that he will give us the strength and the desire to obey that our hearts would grow, uh, uh, that we would see those who are lost the same way God sees those who are lost. That I would have a desire to tell other people of what God has done. Because Mark 16, verse 20 says, and they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So Jesus rebukes and reminds them of the mission and they go out with the power of preaching to everywhere. So why do we witness about Jesus? Because it's the overflow of our worship. Spurgeon called this time, there's a danger, C.H. Spurgeon talked about this, about how church can be just a place where our ears are tickled, where we can become more comfortable. But when we come together, we should be reminded about how great our God is. And that should overflow in our desire to have true Christian community, but also to go tell other people about how great our God is. Fervent worship inspires faithful witness of the one who is able because we've been given a mission to proclaim the gospel to the lost and God uses our faithful witness to call people to himself. So you may be asking, so how do we do that, pastor? As a church, how do we do that? We have four different ways. First one's participation. So think of the square. First one is participation. And we represent Christ implicitly and explicitly, which means act like Jesus. Exemplify Jesus to those around you all the time. The next side of the square is restoration. We do that through mercy projects, through, uh, through hands-on and practical ways. I, I praise God for our tax clinic. I think we had like 200 people walk through our doors as we had interactions with each one of them, conversations with his team. We have our pantry, our food pantry, that gets used a lot from people in our community. Have conversations is the other side of the square. Have conversations and invite people into dialogue. This is from the street preaching to the conversations with a neighbor or coworker or friend. I am not an evangelist. I haven't been gifted with that. I'm okay with that. But as a friend of mine reminded me not too long ago, Paul's words to Titus, do the work of the evangelist. And on that, we praise God for what he's doing with Pastor Sam as he starts a community center as we seek to reach an, uh, an unreached people group in our own neighborhood. Pray for that, that God would use the faithful witness of Sam and his team. And speaking of team, he needs a team. Pray about that. 
as we seek to be a faithful witness in our own neighborhood. We have the Forest Cliff Day Camp that's happening here. I think we have 80 kids coming here so far. Pray about that. Pastor Matt needs volunteers for that. We also have run in the past biblical conversation classes. We have books as well, if you're looking. I have this one book here. It's called The Honest Evangelist by Rico Tice. I loved it because I, I resonated with it. He talked about his fears as an evangelist. It's a great little book. Look at it, it's so tiny. We also have one called Evangelism and Missions. Learn and grow and how you can do it. We also seek to multiply through multiplication. That's the other side of the square. And we, we pray that we can do that one day through church planning and revitalization. As a church, we multiply by supporting church plants through prayer. Maybe one day we can send other people. Maybe we meet with other young pastors and we befriend pastors and we, we encourage them and spur them on. We pray for them on Sundays. Fervent worship inspires faithful witness of the one who is able. So will you pray with me even in that? That one day, as a church, we would be able to send men and women to plant another church here in London. London needs more gospel-preaching churches. This is a fast-growing city. I grew up driving in here all the time. This is the first time I've lived here, but I grew up coming in here. And it's, I, I remember my opa's house, my great-grandfather's house, which is on commissioners, still there. We've, we, we had my grandfather's funeral party there. I can say party because I'm a Christian. And we had, like Lawson's do, we ate food. So much food. But when I went there, and I look around, and there's houses. I used to play in this farm field. Now there's no farm. The barn's not even there anymore. It's all townhouses and condos. This is a fast-growing city. We need more gospel-preaching churches in the city. If someone comes to me and says, hey, we, don't, we have enough churches in London, I'm like, no. There's half a million people that live in this area. If every church was full, full, like bursting at the seams full, maybe a fraction. We have a mission. Will you pray with me on that? It's daunting, too. But if we come together to be devoted to Jesus and his mission, I know he will do amazing things. Maybe we won't be able to plant necessarily on our own. Maybe we can partner with another church. But why do we witness about Jesus? Because there's a mission, because there's a command, because there's lost people, because Jesus is great. So let us come together seeking to be faithful witness. Fervent worship inspires faithful witness of the one who is able. Let us continue to worship our awesome God. Let us pray.